Welcome to the Desire to Trade podcast, the podcast helping you develop Forex training skills for more freedom. I'm your host, Sincret. We are in episode 118 with Paul Singh. Let's get started right away. There has been one topic that a lot of people seem to be passionate about, and a lot of people seem to be in that situation right now. That is trading part-time. But not only that, trading part-time is kind of a place where most people don't want to be. What people want to be is at the point where they go from part-time to full-time. And that's exactly what we talk about today. My guest, Paul, has gone from a full-time job in which he was trading a little bit to being able to trade full-time. And he's been adding strategies and changing a few things along the way. I think this is a perfect example of what it takes to go from part-time to full-time. And what are the things that you might consider and what are these small things that might happen along the way those are things that we don't think about sometimes and i think it's great to hear them from trader and someone who's been living it so i won't go further i am sure you will enjoy this interview so please help me welcome paul sang paul welcome on the podcast how's it going today oh it's going fantastic thanks for having me etienne i'm uh, excited to do this i've heard a lot of your podcasts and, you know, my partner in crime, Kunal, you've interviewed him. So um, really pumped up for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, Kunal, that was a good interview. I don't know which episode it was, which number, but we'll link it in the show notes for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, all, he's always. Yeah, yeah. He's always. And Paul, we, we talked before, which is really interesting. I really enjoyed the uh, conversation we had so far. I think we'll target this episode to trading from part-time to full-time. One of the things you're really good at, I think, and you've done successfully, was to go from part-time to full-time trading, which is something yeah. a lot of people want to do. Maybe they don't know exactly where to start, or maybe they're too early for now, but we'll definitely target that today. I just want to ask you okay. first, what is one quote that inspires you? Okay, so there's a quote that I tell everybody, and I actually, it might not, at first glance, it doesn't seem trading related, but you can definitely apply it to trading. Actually, when I gave the speech for my sister's wedding, I said this quote, and uh, it's a Mark Twain quote, quote, I've had a lot of worries in my life, most of which have never happened. And it really, you know, I, even looking at trading, going back in my early days, I was always worrying, you know, do I enter this trade? What happens if this trade doesn't work out? Uh, when I went from part-time to full-time, you know, there was a lot of fear and I could have actually done it a lot earlier, but I worried. And most people, if you look back and realize all these things you've worried about never happens, or if it does ha happen, it's not really a big deal. And, you know, with, with trading, uh, what are the two? Two emotions that really grip us and really impact our trading. It's fear and greed, right? And they, they kind of relate to each other. And the worry part relates to fear. So what I always, when I'm working with traders, the one thing that really shows in their trading is fear. Sometimes it's greed, but more so fear. So if you get rid of that worry, you get rid of that fear, and then you can trade successfully. If you just focus on what you need to be doing. Love that. Powerful, powerful. And I want to ask you also, how did you start to trade exactly? How did you get into trading in the first place? You know, I, my journey into trading is very similar, at least the beginning to a lot of people my age. So I was in law school in the late 90s, internet boom. Wasn't really even at that point that into trading. It was just like a thing, oh, okay, I can make some money trading here. Let me try. And everyone was talking about it. It was all, in all the magazines, right? AOL, Yahoo was one of the huge stocks at that time. Of course, Microsoft back then. So I started while I was in law school, started with a $5,000 account. And 
absolutely not knowing what the heck I was doing, I ran that thing up in a few months from 5,000 to over 200,000. And this is the late 90s. I mean, 200,000 is, is a good amount for trading now. But back then, it was huge. You know, and I'm 22 years old in law school. I'm just thinking, why am I in law school? This is so easy. I, can, I was making, making $1,000, $2,000 a day. So, you know, I, I lived it up a little bit. I uh, got a penthouse apartment and, you know, spent a little more than I should. And of course, you know what happens, came crashing down. I had no understanding of trading, of risk management. It really, you know, it was interesting when we think about perceptions. I only lost $5,000. Uh, I started with $5,000. That's what I lost. But in my head, when I had $200,000 and I'm making $1,000 a day, I'm thinking, okay, now I've got $200,000. By the end of the year, I'm going to have $500,000. Pretty soon, I'm going to be a millionaire, right? <laughs> so to me, that, at that time, that's what I lost, right? So I lost $200,000 in unrealized gains you know, during the trading period, and it kind of crushed me. Uh, I was in a real funk. And for a while, I just didn't even want to look at stocks. But then, you know, I got back into it and I started analyzing what I was doing. You know, one of the stocks that really sticks with me, there was a stock called Egghead Software. And that's where I made a lot of my money. It was AOL, trading AOL, Egghead Software. And I just started studying it. And it, I went from just gambling and the thrill, you know, when I was trading to really kind of getting into what trading is all about. So I was kind of hooked at that point, started with another 5K stake, which at that time was a ton to me, you know, broke law student, you know, built my savings up to 5,000 again. And this time I traded a lot better. This was a couple of years later. So now we're at towards the end of my third year of law school. I lost it again. So I lost the 5K again. I really didn't understand risk management at that point. So I blew up my second account. But whereas that first time crushed me, this time one, I didn't have that huge run. You know, I was doing good for a while, but I, I did end up losing again. But I felt more encouraged because I felt like I was starting to understand what I was doing. So, you know, lost that account, but then I really got into studying. And for a period, uh, probably around two years, you know, I was done with law school now. I got into my career, didn't really pay attention to stocks. But then I got back into it and I paper traded for a while. And I was really successful with that and started to understand what I need to be doing. Kind of had some of these light bulb moments. The light bulb moments really came when I went live again. Mm -hmm. And at that point, we're now into the mid 2000s, right? between 2003 and 2005 in there. That's where I really started to get it. And I started with another small stake and slowly built it up, grinded it up over six years. And at this point, I knew how to trade. And from there, you know, it led to where I am now. Wonderful. Would you mind sharing a few of these light bulb moments? Maybe two or three uh, as we help you kind of understand sure. what trading so, is about? Right. So first of all, when I started, I knew I didn't know what I was doing, right? You're just basically gambling. Yeah. Um, you watch CNBC, you hear some news, and you just jump on a stock. Jim Cramer said the stock is good. I'm, I'm going to buy the stock, right? That's all I was doing. No risk management, nothing. Then I went to the point that second time where I started to get it. I got into technical analysis a little bit. I read, you know, the canon texts that everyone reads. But, you know, those, those texts, they don't really teach you how to trade. I haven't found one book that actually teaches you how to trade. You get setups, you get general ideas of how to trade, but nothing really teaches you. And that's the point where I was at. So you know, I got into that spot where I focus on setups. And basically what everyone does 
is they focus on entries. Where do you enter a stock? Okay, this is a setup. This is the trigger. I enter. And you get better as a trader at that point, but you're still going to lose because you still don't understand how to trade. Then the next step is risk management. And almost everyone gets to this point. And this is usually the spot where people stop and they can't figure out. And this is a spot where you end up grinding. You either slowly win, you slowly lose. And those slow losses, maybe after two, three years, they grind out. And you, you don't blow up your account, but you slowly lose. But it's a necessary step and you're in the right direction at this point. So now you understand setups, you understand risk management. So you're not going to blow up your account, you know, like I did where it ran up and then went right back down. So the next step after understanding risk for me, and I see it in, with traders all the time, and that's usually where they stop and they can't figure out what they're doing wrong. The next step is trade management, understanding what to do when you're in the trade. And that was really the big light bulb moment for me. And that's where most of the trading mistakes are. So, you know, when, when you analyze someone's trades, you know, you'll look at it and almost every trader I see who has actually spent time trading, but they're still not successful. They know what stocks do. They're in the right stocks. They're in the right setups. The risk management is good, but they're still not trading correctly. And, and what I mean by that is they'll get in a stock. They don't really understand the movement of the stock, where they should actually be placing their stops. So there's two ways to think about stops. One is your own risk, right? You have a $100,000 account, you risk 1% per trade, you don't want to lose more than 1,000. That Even that's being a little aggressive. Um, you have a $10,000 account, you don't want to lose more than $100 per trade. So you place your star, stop at an arbitrary level that will keep you in that risk level. But then you have to understand, is that the right spot to put that stop? So you have to factor that in. So with stocks, I don't know, maybe it's the same with Forex. I've never actually traded Forex. But you have to think about, you know, where is everyone else placing their stops? The market makers know that. So I want to be under that level so I don't get shaken out. Where is support? Where is resistance? All these things. Now you have to factor that in. And same with target. You have to think your targets. You have to think about the volatility of the stock. Uh, you know, if I place a dollar stock, a stop, which makes sense for me, but the stock moves $3 a day, I'm most likely going to get stopped out. And, and same with your target. If you know, I place a $2 stop and now I need to have, say, a $5 reward, what if the stock is not that volatile? So you have to think about all these different things. Then the next step from that was moving away from setups and scans. And that's what everybody focuses on mm -hmm. is, you know, what is this setup? What is this? What, what scan can I get to spit out uh, a stock that fits this setup? And the really good swing traders, uh, more so for swing than, say, day trading. Day trading is very setup oriented. You're just chasing that momentum. But with swing trading, which is probably what you should be focusing on if you're a part-time trader, you know, you got a full-time job, and which is how I built up my account over six years. For swing trading, setups are important, but it's not the starting point. When you start to understand market analysis, what is the market doing? Where is the market at right now? And then understand where money is flowing. And that's where I always start with traders. And it, it kind of bores traders at times because they want to be, they want the scans. That's the sexy thing, yeah. right? The scans, the setups, but understanding where are the big guys placing their money? Where is Goldman Sachs building its positions? Where is the big, where are the big hedge funds putting their positions? And they think in terms of, of industries and sectors, not necessarily stock specific. So when you can track that, that is where the momentum is going to be. So that's the next step is knowing where to be, not just what to trade. So for example, 
2016. The big move from early 2016 to mid to late 2016 was in commodities, specifically metals like steel, copper. If you understood even before 2016, there were identifiers with, with volume and price actions that showed you that they were building positions, even though price wasn't really moving yet. So if you knew that and you had this deeper understanding of the market, not just thinking in terms of setups, you weren't going to miss that move and you were going to jump in that, on that momentum right away. So that was kind of the final step was understanding where to be not just what to trade and focusing on these setups. So it's been a journey. This whole process took quite a bit of time. Mm -hmm. But now, you know, I've got this process down where, you know, for my swing trading, it literally takes me 30 to 40 minutes of analysis every day for the swing trading. And, and I know exactly what to be looking for to trade the next day. Right, which, which is really powerful. And it's something I've seen also myself. And I also started that way, trying to look for strategies and setup. And then uh -huh. I converted over time, like the big picture. And I think what you're referring to, looking at like who's placing money where, doesn't have to be necessarily like fundamentals and news. Could be also the big picture technically. Does that make sense? Exactly. Exactly. And you know the other thing. You know, I've kind of discounted setups. Setups are important. It's the next step after you've done that. Yeah. But even with your setups, what I see a lot of times is a trader will decide. You know, I'm a breakout trader. I want to trade breakout pullbacks. Or, you know, I'm a counter trend trader. I want to short momentum moves. And with those, those setups are great, but you need to understand when and where to apply them. So, for example, in a really strong market, you know, even if that short setup is a fantastic market, you know, you're kind of going against a brick wall if you keep trying to take that setup. You might even get the trigger, but you're, it's not going to work. So, you know, it, it's like a, a carpenter with a tool. Belt, right? He knows his job and he's going to pick the right tools for that job. Hammer is, you know, one of the best tools a carpenter can have, but there are certain jobs where you need a screwdriver, right? And it's the same thing. So, you know, with swing trading, I've got a basket of about 30 different setups I trade. But right now in this market, there's about 20 different setups that I would never trade in this market right now. It's basically understanding that these are the five or 10 setups I need to trade right now. So, and that all starts with market analysis, sector analysis, and understanding the big picture before you actually get into those setups. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Powerful, powerful. Now, we talk about going from part-time to full-time trading. I'm curious to know, what did that take for you? And a lot of people are going to ask about like how much money you need, what like proof you need to see that you're consistent and profitable to go full-time. So what was that for you? And perhaps did you make any mistake along the way? You know, I feel like I waited too long, but I think it's better to wait too long than go too early. First of all, you need to be funded properly. You have to have the right bankroll for it. So, you know, I'll get people, you know, with ten or twenty thousand dollars, and they want to go full time, unless you get lucky, uh, you know, and just hit some big home runs, and meet, which usually means you're taking too much risk. You're not going to be able to go full time that way. So, I would say at least with stocks, you know, I don't, I know with with forex and some other things, you get extra leverage. And yeah, but you it's still the same thing because you still want to manage risk thing. properly. Yeah, you need to have six figures. There's no way, and even the low six figures is probably too low. And I know that's going to frustrate a lot of people listening right. to this who want to get go part time. But you know, you, you can't beat around the bush or sell something that's not true. You have to be funded properly. You're going to go through drawdowns. It, it happens to every single trader. There's not a trader alive who I know who does, hasn't gone through a drawdown. Mm -hmm. And You know, for me, I had in mind I needed three or four hundred thousand dollars. I had to have that 
specifically for trading. I'm not talking about savings and other things. Specifically for trading, I needed to have that. Uh, and on top of that, you know, they usually say you, ha- you should have six months of, you know, living expenses, pay- house payments and all that. I said to myself, two years. So it was a pre, and I even went above that. So, you know, I said to myself, if I needed 300, 400,000, I actually went above that. So I may have waited a little long, but it's better to do that than, uh, you know, go too early. Unless you feel like you can just jump out and just go back to your job and bounce back and forth, but you're really not going to be successful that way. So number one, you have to have that big bankroll. Number two, what you hit on, you have to, you have to prove that you're a profitable trader. That's the other thing I'll see is, you know, maybe uh, a trader will, you know, have a good four or six months and, and think, okay, you know, I, I'm good at this. I can just quit my job and go full time. You need to have, you know, it depends if you're a day trader or a swing trader. With swing traders, with swing trading, your trades are more infrequent. So maybe in a year, depending on the year, maybe any, depending on your style also, maybe you only t- take 50 trades in a year. Yeah. 50 trades is not a big enough sample size to tell you you're a good trader. So it might take you two or three years to really know if you're a good trader. Whereas maybe if you take, you know, there's a more aggressive swing styles where maybe you take five, five or 600 trades, then you have a better understanding after a year whether you're a good trader or not. And then with day trading, the trades are so frequent, maybe you can figure it out in six months. The problem with that is you also not only want to see the time period, you want to see how you do in different markets. So pay attention as you've been trading, how many different markets have I traded? Am I, have I only been trading in an uptrend where it was really easy? That's not really going to tell me if I'm a good trader, right? Now, have I been in range-bound markets? Have I been in uptrending markets? Have I been in downtrending markets? Did I crush it when the, the market was down? If you've seen your, your across the scope of different markets, you've traded very well, you've got the big bankroll, you've proven to be successful, and it's been a good time frame, that's when you, you can say, okay, I can go full time. And even after that, you're going to run into some bumps because oh, yeah. you know, when you're a part-time trader, you've got that income coming in, right? And you've got nothing to worry about. This is almost not play money, but it, it's not really going to impact whether you pay the rent or not. And that was a little tough for me, even though you know, I was not going to have any problem paying the rent. On top of that, I have a wife you know, who has a good job. So even though I didn't have any issues with life expenses or anything like that, just the fact that you know, since I've been 23, I've had a good income coming in. And all of a sudden now, everything I do is reliant on my trading. Every decision I make either makes or loses money, right? That's a tough thing. Uh, and I always say, you know, t- trading is a decision-making game. And not, it's not just your trades. It's, you know, with the discussion we were having before we started this, like time of day, you know, when are we, when do you trade? Do you trade, you know, when the, for me, when the market opens, do you trade swing? Do you day trade? What's your trading setup? What chair do I use to trade? All of these are decisions that, that can impact your trading. And it's not like, you know, there are high pressure jobs and every job, you know, there's stresses, but most jobs you can, I wouldn't say coast, but not everything you do all day makes or loses you money, right? You've got income coming in. You've you've got that salary. With trading, you don't have that. You're reliant on yourself and that plays with your mind. So you've got to get past that hump as well. And you've got to get the point. And that's why prop P&L, you know, we always hear this revenge trading. Don't look at your P&Ls. Don't trade the setups. Don't trade the money. You really have to. Where you know, so when I went full time, you know, the first month or two that impacted me. But I realized it right away. It was already in my head. I knew these things. You know, I talked to professional traders who had told me these things. So I knew to look out for that. 
But when I got myself to not think about it as money, that's where it really influenced my trading in a, in a positive way. So, you know, you don't think of, you know, if you've got uh, $200,000, don't think of it as $200,000 because if you have that, you know, say you risk 0.5 a trade, if you lose that $1,000, you can't be thinking, you know, oh crap, I just lost two iPads. You know, a lot of people do that. They think yeah. of the money and they relate it to what it is, material things. Or, you know, that was a couple of car payments or, you know, you can't think in those terms. Then you're emotionally going to be more involved. Yeah. yeah, you have to think of it almost as chips, like poker chips, right? And anyone who plays poker knows, you know, the reason the casinos put it, you, you know, you don't have your money down, you don't have dollar bills, is because they don't want you thinking of it as money, they want you thinking of it as chips. Then it's not money to you. It's, I mean, you still have to respect it. And that you can go in the other way and say, oh, it's not money, let me just throw it around. You can't do that either. But you can't be thinking in terms of dollars. You have to be thinking of the game, in a sense. And once you do that, it was really helpful as a full-time trader. The other thing is, as a swing trader, so I made my bones swing trading. That's all I did until 2012. So the six years I spent grinding and building that account was as a swing trader. And when you're swing trading, for my style, I'm holding trades anywhere from a couple of days when I'm using aggressive strategies. Maybe I'm holding a two three days to a couple of months when I'm writing a trend. So a very different styles, but that means there's a lot of days I could go a week without placing a trade. I'm just watching the trades that I have, right? And I'm doing research, building my watch list, that kind of thing and looking for momentum. But there are weeks where I go where I don't make a trade. And when I was working full time, that didn't bother me at all. You know, I'm doing other things, right? Making money in other ways. But when you're a full-time trader and you're sitting there, and, uh, you know, I had these ideas of what it was going to be like when I first broke off, right? Living the dream. It's going to be awesome. I, you know, I had this imagination of what my days were going to be like. And, you know, that first month, uh, you know, I put on those trades. I'm all excited. And then I'm just sitting there. All right. Twiddling my thumbs. Like, okay, <laughs> what do I do now? So it's good to have alternative streams, not just for, you know, the mental stability of knowing you have other money coming in different ways to make money. But also, it just gives you something else to do. Mm -hmm. And when I say alternative streams, it doesn't mean go out and get a job, another job. What I mean is, if you're a swing trader, start researching day trading. And you can work that in. You've got the time now. You're not full-time trading anymore. So, you know, research that. I was trading one style. And now I trade, you know, swing trade. And I use many different time frames on swing trading. I trade more aggressive strategies than I did before. I day trade now. I position trade now, so longer-term trading. Uh, I've got into cryptos now, getting into futures a little bit, not too much, but it's good to have these alternative streams, especially with swing trading. Let's say you go through a 10 trade drawdown, you know, you're two for eight. It's going to happen because we're trading probabilities, right? If you're trading a setup that has a 60% win rate, which is fantastic over time, you're going to make a lot of money with that, especially if you're risking, say, two to one. Over time, that's fantastic. But you are going to go through drawdowns. Sometimes, you know, that 60% win rate, you're going to be on that 40% side. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't happen like, you know, when you flip a coin, it's not always five, 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 five for that 50%, right? You could get heads 10 times in a row. That's the same thing with trading. So let's say you're two for eight in 10 trades. And, you know, with swing trading, those 10 trades can happen over a month or two. And that can be tough to deal with. Even though you know you're doing everything right, you're just on the wrong side of probabilities. But now, and that can really play with your mind, and that kind of separates with the good traders from the bad traders. 
the bad traders or the unsuccessful traders, the drawdowns really impact them. And that's where they, all the mental stuff comes in. And then, you know, they just start increasing their risk, revenge trading, all these different things. But say now, when you go through that drawdown with, with your swing, you're also day trading. And now, while maybe the two months haven't been great for swing trading, day trading, you might be doing fantastic. And, you know, so it doesn't impact you the same way. And also with the day trading, you know, a 10 trade drawdown can happen in one or two days. So it doesn't take that long. You know, it's the same. Mm -hmm. It's really the same thing. It's just over a different time period. And then maybe you're long term trading also. And, and maybe your long term trades are doing good. So it's good to think of these as all these different strategies as alternative streams. Mm -hmm. So I would say if you go full time, once you get from that part time to the full time, once you go full time, start building your skill set. And don't do it too quickly either. What I like to do, I take one thing and I master it. So I mastered swing trading. Then I spent, you know, a good full year mastering day trading, right? And when I was day trading, not only was I looking at just day trading, I'm already, I was swing trading, but I already know how to do that. But I worked on mastering day trading and even day trading, I mastered specifically trading the open that first hour. So that's all I was focused on for a year. Mm -hmm. And I mastered that. What I do is now, and I learned this reading about Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, and somebody, Michael Jordan, what he used to do every off season. And if you look through his career, you could see his skills build over time. Every off season, he would pick a new thing to work on. So one year he decided he wanted to become a better passer and he worked on his passing skills. The next year he wanted to be a better three point shooter. And that off season, all he did was focus on three pointers. And I've incorporated that concept with me where every year, so, you know, I, I set my goals every year, you know, you got your New Year's resolutions. I pick one thing to work on. So a couple of years ago, you know, I, I felt like I really had day trading down that first hour, but I noticed there was a lot of movement pre-market in these stocks I was trading. So 2015, I focused on pre-market trading. And that year, that was my goal. The next year was options. I focused on options. So I, I picked a, a few option strategies and started working on that. This year, it's been since crypto's got hot, you know, I've focused on that. And uh, it's a lot of good resources now too, you know, with learning that. So focused on that. So build your skill set as well. You don't need to just focus on one thing because now you've got the time to work on other things. Yeah. And I think that that's a really good framework. I'm happy you share this with uh, people, the fact that you can have a different style and that's going to help you. It's kind of a different income at the same time having different stuff. Right, right. And I think what a lot of people will fall in the trap of is thinking, well, Paul has these like four trading styles doing the, all these things. So they're going to want to master like all of it at once, which is like a yeah. big mistake people see all the you time. You can't do that. And early in my trading career, I tried that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, I, I, was, I, was, I was, right. I was telling you, you know, we were talking about Forex and futures and all that before this, uh, we started here and I was telling you in mid 2000s, I was trading futures. That was a big mistake. Not because there's anything wrong with futures, because I was doing, I, you know, I was, I was working on futures. I was trying to learn options. I was swing trading. I tried to do day trading. I just did all this stuff. And you can't master anything that way. And you really, to be successful, you have to master this stuff. Exactly. Uh, you know, you have hazard on this stuff. And a lot of people think that. But, you know, think about doctors, right? When you get into specialties, there's no one who's a master at cardiology and, you know, neurology and all these different things, right? You yeah. really have to learn. Things. It's the same thing for traders you really have to master that one thing before you move on to the next thing. So pick one thing, learn it, master it. Once you've got that down, then go on to the next thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wonderful. So when you went from, let's say, swing trading to adding day trading, what are the steps you took? Did you just 
pick a book and read about day trading and find strategies or I, so what things did you look uh, at exactly yeah so the first well one good thing is i had uh you know so canal who, uh -huh. who you viewed i mentored him in the mid 2000s in swing trading and one thing you're going to notice and we talked about this as well is across the board different mediums different instruments many of the concepts are the same I would right. say 70 to 80% of the concepts are the same in the trading. Mindset is always the same. Yeah. Right. Mindset is the same. And even price movements, because they're related to emotions, fear, greed, both individually and as a group think as well. So a lot of these same patterns, these things that are happening are the same across the board. So he took that swing trading and for his personality and his style, and you know how high energy he is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, day trading was really the fit. And, you know, that's another thing. You have to know, understand yourself. And what you're good at, what fits you, right? Maybe day trading just isn't for you because you can't deal with these fast movements yeah. where another person's swing trading might be a little tough because they're impatient and can't stick with these longer term moves. So he took those strategies and incorporated it in day trading and then obviously learned the day trading aspect more. So, you know, I had him to lean on, you know, he had his chat room. I, I would really, what I, what I would do is break down. I, I found a few good traders, it's always good to have a mentor or someone oh, to look at. So it's funny, I mentored him, but then I started watching him. I didn't, we didn't really talk too much about it, but I would watch him and I would take maybe five trades of his and break it down. And there were a couple other traders I really respected that I knew. And I would talk to them, hey, why did you take this trade? What did you do here? I didn't read any books. I, I find most books to be worthless uh, <laughs> for trading. I, yeah. You know, hopefully you don't have a book. Do you have a trading book? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, good. Thank goodness. Okay. Okay. But um, so I really, you know, I talked to them. I, I got some basic strategies that I was going to trade around, and then I just went to work. So you learn by doing. So paper trading. And some people will say paper trading is worthless. That's not true. Oh, no. Now, paper trading does not have the psychological component, right? Because you're not thinking about money. But where it's important is you learn exactly what to do. So you learn what to do, then you put real money on the line. And usually what happens is you learn what to do, you put real money on the line, then there might be a drop off because now you got to work on yourself and the mental game and all that. But paper trading is very valuable. So I spent about six months just constantly paper trading. I would watch the open every day. I would paper trade the open. And on top of that, I got software that would allow me to go back and trade back in history, different markets, mm -hmm. different times. And that's also an important thing to do in your research when you're learning. Don't just trade what's happening right now. Trade what's happened in the past. Study different markets. For example, if you're a swing trader, I know we're talking about day trading now, but if you're a swing trader, go back to the internet boom and see what happened. Go back to the mid-2000s commodity boom and see what happened. Go back to the real estate meltdown in 2008. Go back to the 70s energy crisis because these things happen over and over again. Nothing, almost nothing in trading is new. There's little things. Now you got to deal with algos and maybe adjust how you you know, trade your stops and that type of thing. But the overall stuff is exactly the same. You know, go back and study recessions, depressions, bubbles, all this stuff. Go, go back to the 1800s. And I, I did all that in my studying for swing trading. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with, with day trading specifically, you know, I would go back and look, okay, I, I would take, I took Google going back to, you know, the late 2000s. And I would say, okay, on this earnings breakout, what did it do? How do I trade it in that first hour of the day? And the second time it happened, when it gapped down, what did it do? And what did these type of stocks do? A lot of research. So it's not simply what a lot of people do. They just go in, oh, okay, I have this strategy here and I'm just going to trade it. You need to know more in depth how to trade these things. 
And most people don't take that next step. So uh, go back in history, study, study, study these movements. If you're trading, if you're day trading, you're trading morning gapper, gappers, study thousands of stocks. Look at these patterns over and over again. You know, Kanal mentioned it in his interview with you. You asked him, what does he do? And he said, I look at 500 charts a day in the evening. And, you know, that's what we went over way back when. Study chart after chart. And not only that chart, but, you know, the movements around the chart. When you're studying your, your breakout. Okay, yeah. so I traded this out. My stock is a 10% mover. But what happens when the market is down 2% in a day? How does that impact the stock? When it's up 2% a day, how does it impact the stock? So there's a lot of things you need to be studying. That's what I did for about six months. Then I said, okay, I'm ready to trade. And I started real trading and, and very small risk. When you make the jump to real trading, you want to use very small risk. So say you do your risk analysis and you say on, on most trades, I should be risking, according to my account size, I should be risking $500 a trade. If that's what you've decided, $500, when you first start, only risk 100 Because that jump from paper to real messes with your mind. So you want to get to the point where the money doesn't really mean much. So if 500 is what impacts you, Trade with only 100. And then as you see, okay, I'm doing good with the real trading, don't jump to the 500. Don't go from 100 to 500. Incrementally increase it. So go from 100 to 125. And spend a week at 125, then go to 150. I take these kind of baby steps or incremental steps and get to that 500. Then when you get to where you wanted to be at that 500, it's not going to impact you at all. Yeah, and this so, is a very good point. Yeah. Yeah, that was the process I used. And then after that, so I did that for about another four or five months. And with day trading, four or five months, you get a lot of trades in because, you know, you're trading, you know, sometimes five, 10 stocks a day. So I had a good sample size. I studied myself. I broke down every stock, both on a micro level and then on a macro level. You know, how are my risk factors? You know, what are my drawdowns? Uh, you know, all, all these different things. And then I had someone who was actually good at statistics analyze my trades as well. And he came in and found some stuff that was interesting that helped me adjust what I was doing. So there's a lot that goes into becoming a successful trader, as you can see here. But that's been kind of the process going from when I was a part-time to you know now as a full-time trader. Mm -hmm. And I see two main things here. The first one would be kind of curiosity about the market and what is possible. And then a lot of practice, like deliberate practice, where you go back and you do all these hours that are not necessarily nice to do, but... At the same time, it's cool to go back in time and like trade as if you were there. So, right, yeah. right. And you you gotta really love this stuff too. So good stuff for uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, right. I mean, this all the stuff you're doing, it's difficult to do if you're just trading for the money, right? right? You've got to get into it. And ultimately, we all want to make money. Uh, if I wasn't making money, I wouldn't wouldn't do this, right? <laughs> but you know, once you get past that part, you really have to get. And you know, even if it's not your favorite thing, and initially trading wasn't my favorite thing. And we have this misconception of why we like things. And usually we like things because we're getting good at it and we see improvements. Mm. So, you know, start yourself in this mindset, get into it. And then I guarantee you, once you get into it and you start seeing these successes, that's when you start really loving it. And that's what keeps you motivated and gets you going through drawdowns or, you know, some of this stuff. I mean, sometimes it's a bear going through, you know, 500 charts in a day. It, it, sometimes it's like you're doing this every day. Uh, I got to do this again. But then once you get into it, you know, if you love it, you'll kind of get through some of the tedious stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, awesome. I know a lot of people like to hear about setup and strategies, like you mentioned, and this is like a fact for all the trading industry. So could you maybe right. guide us through one of your trades you took recently? Maybe tell us what uh, the thought process was behind it and what happened with that trade. 
Okay. Let me think. Oh, gosh, I've made so many trades. Let me think of one. Okay. Let's, uh, I, I can't really share my screen here, but I just traded Baidu. And the interesting thing about Baidu is it's Chinese stock. So my starting, let's go through the whole thought process, right? Baidu has been on my watch list for months now because China has been on fire. So Baidu, Baba, Sina, a bunch of other stocks mm-hmm. have been on my radar. So definitely a stock I've been watching. So that starts where we were talking about before. I'm not looking at setups and you, know, you were asking about a setup, but where am I starting? The first thing I said was not a setup. It was the market and then not necessarily sector. China is not a sector, but Baidu is internet related. So we could think of that as a sector. So it's in two areas I really like, right? So right off the bat, I'm not thinking setups, but this is where I want to be. I want to be in these areas. So once I get into these areas, now I'm thinking setup. And, and I'm not biased by a setup. I'm not looking for a setup. I'm looking at the stocks and seeing what setup I can apply. So now earnings season, we're in earnings season right now. You know, with stocks, every, every quarter they report earnings. Baidu has been, you know, China stocks have been on fire. Baidu has been a great stock. It gapped down on earnings. Now, conventional wisdom would say, and early in my trading career, I got crushed by trying to think logically, and logic doesn't always work in trading, right? So I thought about it logically, and I would say to myself, the stock has bad news, it gapped down. I should be short, right? But that's not how it works. Oftentimes, with trading, what you think logically is not the way you're actually going to trade it. And what happens with these stocks that gap down is... You get these overreactions. So we were talking about fear and greed and worrying. That was my first quote about worrying and fear. What happens is when there's even a little bit of bad news, these stocks tend to overreact. So Baidu gapped down big. And back in the day, I would be looking to short that thing. And I did this for about a year. And I was wondering, why am I not successful? These are bad stocks. They had bad news. I'm shorting them. Why is this not working? And then you go back and study them and you go, whoa, wait a minute. Okay, so they did work a little bit. They didn't hit my target, but then they always reverse. So that's what I look for now. When I see a gap down, rather than thinking short, the first thing I do is look for the reversal. And that's what I did with Baidu. So Baidu gap down on earnings. Maybe there was reason for it to gap down, but probably an overreaction, especially when you think of the fact that China is really strong. So it has that in its favor as well. So thinking about the overall big picture. And then I'm applying the setup. Now I want to play reversal, but I'm not going to just jump in. Now I've got to think setup. And I have basically four different strategies for gap downs. And it put in one of those strategies. So strategy triggered for the gap down. I saw saw strength. There's a candle pattern and a specific spot it should be related to moving averages and that kind of thing. Once that triggered, I was in. And the next day it popped. It was only a two-day hold. So, you know, two-day hold, I got my two and a half to one on it. So, you know, I, I think I risked about $500 and, you know, it made about $1,500. So, yeah, so that's a setup that I re- that's the last trade I took as a swing trade and you can see even though we're thinking setups there's a bigger picture to be thinking about rather than just the setup itself. And you're going to be much more successful if you're not just focused on that setup but thinking big picture as well. So you can see the difference here and how you should be thinking about these things within a trade. Exactly, and this is why I don't ask people to share their strategy necessarily cuz it's like one thing but understanding that there's a thought process and a, like a complete methodology behind it, I think is much more powerful. Right. Exactly. So if I just tell you, I can teach you this setup. I can say, okay, when a stock gaps down, continues down 5%, then you know, it puts in a reversal candle, shows strength, you start to see money flow. That's the entry trigger and you enter at that point. You can tell someone that, but there's still much more. 
to think about in terms of what you need to be looking for. Yeah, I see that, that that setup I just explained. If I wanted to, I could probably trade that you know five times every single day, but I don't do that. I wait for all of these things to kind of line up. Uh-huh. Exactly. And having this kind of case study for every trade you take is really powerful. Yeah. Right, right. Cool. I just want to talk like last thing about your routines. What are it's going to be pre-trading and let's say post-trading? Do you have anything you do on a daily basis? Sorry, we broke so up a like your trading routines, pre-trading and trading. then post-trading. Okay. Anything you right. do every single day? So let, let, me, let me break it up in two. So I'll break it up for the part-time traders, which is what I used to do. And then my trading routine yeah, now, which point. is much different, especially with the day trading and the swing trading and now being on the West Coast too, kind of throws a wrench because we get up so early. But when I was a part-time trader, basically I had this routine set where uh, starting in the evening is when I would do my research. And you know, when I, once I got good to it, it took me about a half hour to an hour to do every evening. So basically, I'm scanning for you know, money flow, sectors that I should be in, doing my market analysis. That sets the big picture for me. Then I have certain scans I do looking for breakouts, breakdowns, or certain overbought, oversold stocks, putting those in a watch list, adding them to my main watch list that I already have, which is usually between 100 and 200 stocks. So kind of that universe of you know, 10,000 instruments, stocks, ETFs, narrowing that down to a manageable spot of momentum stocks that you want to trade. So I would do that. And then from there, you know, there, there was a kind of a three-step process I would use looking at ETFs, looking for the different setup triggers. So I've decided in this market, I'm looking for this, these setups. And I would go through my watch list looking for which ones might be triggering one of these setups. From there, I would create a focus list. So I, I, I differentiate what I would call a watch list from a focus list. Now I'm more focused because I have to be as if, you know, with a full-time job, I can't be watching this stuff, right? So basically, I would then, uh, before I go to bed, have a list of anywhere between five and 20 stocks. And for each of those stocks, I would have laid out where my entry range is, where my target is, where my stop is, and what my potential position sizes are going to be. That way, I don't have to think too much when I actually place the trade. So then the next morning, before I would go to work, I would quickly look, has anything changed, you know, pre-market or anything, but not too much. I didn't have to do that too much. Then during my work day, I would try to time my breaks and my lunch around being able to watch the open, then looking at the market once again in the day, and then trying to be able to watch the market around the close. And these days, it's a lot easier now with phones. You know, you can have an app and just look at it real quickly. Uh, the charting software I use, TC2000, it's fantastic on your phone. You know, with a big phone, make sure you get a big, you know, a big iPhone or a big Galaxy Note or something. And you can see the charts just fine. So even if you're at work and you can't go on your computer, or if you don't have a job with a computer, just check it a couple of day times on your phone. If one of my stocks was triggering and the market looked good, I was, would enter. And then again, on your phone, you know, you can, most brokers have apps on your phone, so you can place a trade right, right out of the phone. So that was basically my entire process when I was trading part-time. And that's all you really need to do. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be staring. A lot of part-time traders, you know, they keep looking back and forth. You don't need to do that. And that's yeah. actually because you start micromanaging your positions and looking at different time frames, which you don't need to do. So that was when I was a part-time trader. Now, as I've gone full-time, it's much different. So now, you know, the market opens here on the West Coast at 6.30. And w- where I used to focus a lot of my research in the evening, now, one, I've been watching the market all day. So I already know what's kind of happened in the market and what, you know, I've been looking all day at things, taking some notes. So I don't need to do a lot of evening analysis. And a lot of that changes, especially if you're day trading the open, 
a lot of that changes by the time you get to pre-market. So most of my research now is done in the morning, at least research for that day. So, you know, market opens at 6.30. I'm up at like 3.45. Takes me a little while to get into the day. So, you know, I have some set routines. I get up, exercise, have my coffee, read a little or watch a little TV. That kind of gets my brain going. And then I start doing my pre-market research for my day trading. So looking for gappers, gap down, stocks that are really extended in one direction or another. That's where I'm usually watching, looking for at the open. So I do that for my day trading. Then I do, I basically finish up my swing analysis because I've already done that in the daytime uh, as the day has been going. And not a lot changes with swing from open to close. So, you know, I fine tune that and then I run the bulls on Wall Street swing report. So I get that report out in the morning. I go over all of my trades, kind of analyze what I've been doing. Do I need to make any adjustments? Is there anything I've done wrong? So kind of go through that. And then by that time, I'm about 10 minutes before the open, once I've done all that. And that's the time where, you know, as I've been going through this and I've gone through all my swing watch list, there's a bunch of focus list stocks that I'm really interested in getting into. There's a lot of, you know, I've got a big day trading list now and I'm ready to jump into these stocks really amped up, got my coffee in, adrenaline's pumping, and I really need to slow myself down at that point. So two minutes before the open, I try to calm myself. So I'm not really good at meditation. Uh, My mind's just always moving. I can't do that. But what I do is I close my eyes and I've usually identified something I want to work on in the day. Maybe I analyzed my trades and there was something I did wrong that I want to focus on. I don't want to replicate that. Or maybe there's something I've been doing right. Or maybe something I've seen in the market and I know on this day, I want to focus on this. So what I do is I close my eyes. I think of that and just really focus on that one thing that I want to really focus on that day. And that really slows me down. And then I get usually some background music going. I used to listen to Metallica or, or, or 90s rap or you know stuff that would really pump me up. And I found out I shouldn't be doing that. That gets my adrenaline pumping again. So now it's usually like movie soundtracks or classical music or that kind of thing that will slow me down and just get me calm. And then, you know, then the market day starts and I'm into, you know, what I do during the, the trading day. Cool. And what happens like after your trading? So post trading, you have any routines, any maybe, I guess, can be tracking, journaling? Oh, definitely. Definitely. So with my day trades right after the market closes. So here the market closes at one. And, you know, I may have taken off during the day. You know, I, I stopped day trading pretty early. And then, you know, I'm monitoring my swings. But Once the market closes, I review everything I did with my day trades, and then I review all my swings right away. So yeah, I spend a good 20 to 30 minutes at the market close kind of reviewing what happened in the day. So that's one o'clock for me. Usually I'm done with that by about 1.30. And the beauty of trading, you know, the stock market is it's over at that point, right? Mm -hmm. I'll take a look at after hours movers. For instance, yesterday, Tesla and Facebook reported earnings. So there was some after hours movement. I might take a look at that. And if I'm really interested, I might trade after hours. But generally on a typical day at 1.30, I shut it down. And, and I do my best not to think about trading really until the next morning. So, uh, you know, that kind of gets you away from it and it just doesn't consume you then. Mm-hmm. It's changing a little bit because now, you know, I, I, I do some cryptos. I've been, you know, researching futures more and, and this stuff is around the clock. Uh, so you know, I still try not to think about it too much, but that's a general, the general process for me. I, you know, I want this kind of cutoff point where, where I'm done for the day. Cool. I think that's powerful. Those are really good routines for sure. So Paul, how can people find you if they want to connect with you or reach out? Okay. So, well, you can email me anytime. I answer every email I get. 
I've still got, maybe it goes back to my internet boom days and trading AOL. I've still got my old AOL account, account that everyone makes fun of me for. Uh, I do have Gmail accounts and stuff, but I like to use my email account uh, or my AOL account is kind of a joke, but it's singjd1 at AOL.com. So S-I-N-G-H-J-D-1 at AOL.com. If you've got any questions about, you know, if you're in that journey of part-time to full-time trading or, or you know, you've broken off full-time and you want to know what to do, just shoot me an email. I run the swing service for Bulls on Wall Street. So Kanal, you know, who I mentored in the mid-2000s, he created Bulls on Wall Street. He's a CEO. It's his site, fantastic site. And I started full-time trading in 2012. In 2014, he contacted me and said, hey, you know, I'm starting a swing service. Uh, you, you know, you're the first person I thought of. So I run that now. So that's bullsonwallstreet.com, the swing trading service on there. Or we send a nightly report. I send out my trade alerts for swing trades that are geared towards part-time traders that they can take or just use the nightly analysis, which is basically exactly what I was doing. Uh, this service is the whole process of what I was doing when I was a part-time trader. So it's very similar to that. So I do that. I've got my own site, pauljsing.com. So, you know, on Bulls on Wall Street, it's more trading, uh, more trades, uh, you know, the daily routine, what you should be doing every day. My own site is is kind of general articles on what's on my mind, more mental game type stuff, mm. routines, practices, that type of thing. I also mentor a number of students, so I keep it pretty low because it's, it's so time consuming. Uh, but during any given period, I'm mentoring five to 10 students. So you can contact me about mentoring that way. I've got the YouTube channel, which a lot of this stuff on both sides come from. And I'm forgetting the YouTube link right now, but maybe you put it in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, we'll put everything in the show notes for sure, yeah. Uh, and, and also, post a ton to Twitter and Instagram so you can follow me there as well. Wonderful, wonderful. And Paul, we have a question we ask a guest at the end of every podcast. So if you could give only one piece of advice for traders in one sentence, what would that one sentence of advice be? Okay, one piece of advice. Um, you know, it would probably relate to something we talked about today. But, you know, if you noticed a lot of the stuff I was talking about doesn't really relate to the conventional wisdom in trading. So uh, I would say any of these trading cliches you've heard, don't take them at face value, because a lot of them are wrong. So question everything, test everything. You know, when we, I went through my process, you saw, I didn't pick a book and say, oh, this is the setup here. And I'm just going to trade it. I tested everything. I, I tried everything, you know, make sure it works. So question these trading cliches, tr question conventional wisdom. For example, you know, I told you when I was day trading, I had a, someone with a good background in statistics analyze my trades. And I was trading under the trading cliche, if you've heard this, that you should be getting two to one on every trade, right? And, you know, for the most part, that's pretty good. Your risk, you, that's pretty good advice. Your risk, you know, you should have good risk reward ratios, but I was stuck on that two to one. And when he, he went in and analyzed my trades, what he saw that I didn't see was that, you know, a lot of your trades didn't quite hit that two to one. And if you just adjusted it to 1.5 to one, you're probably, you're only getting 1.5 to one, but your, your win rate was going to go up and you were actually going to make, make more money. It was significant. It was a big difference. So I was trading pretty good with the way I was trading. If I had switched to 1.5 to one, I would have been crushing it on those exact same trades. And that was eye-opening to me. Like, wow, you know, I always tell people never trade 1.5 to 1. You have to get 2 to 1 on these trades. And that's total, totally because I've been trading under this trading cliche, and that totally blew my mind. Mm -hmm. So all these things you hear, another one you hear all the time is, uh, 
you know, you can never pick tops or never catch a falling knife. And that's totally untrue. You can't, if you know what you're looking for, you can time these things. You might be wrong a few times, but when you hit, you're going to hit big. And I always played by that conventional wisdom that never trying to try to time a top or a bottom. And, you know, I would wait and wait and wait. And after a while I saw, you know, I could have made more money in this period I was waiting than I could taking the trade where I took it. Mm-hmm. So that was, these are two things that I lived by that now I, I realize are a bunch of crap. <laughs> so, okay. so question everything. One other piece of advice is you have to be adaptable. Um, you can't keep doing the same thing. And tra- trading is always changing. Mm-hmm. You have different markets, uh, different things start happening. For example, an easy example is, you know, back in the mid 2000s, one of my bread and butter, a simple setup was in a strong market, you trade a breakout and a pullback to the 20 day moving average. And you didn't even have to think, you just do it. And you would crush it just doing that. Now that hardly ever works. You know, the market makers, the algos, they've adjusted. They know a lot of people do this. So a lot of people are still doing, doing this. They're reading those books with this advice from the mid 2000s. And they're doing the same thing. But what happens now is the market makers know that they know where everyone has their stops and they take everyone out there. So my adjustment to that was I don't trade around the 20 day moving average now, but I started trading remounts. So what would happen is I noticed that the 20 day moving average, because it was happening to me, I kept doing this, I was failing. And when you keep failing, you've got to think about why this is happening and then research what's happening. And what, what made sense to me was everyone is doing this. They figured it out. They're taking everybody out. But then you would see that it would remount that moving average and then start running. So I traded that a lot. Now, interestingly enough, those remounts are not moving quite as good as they used to. So you basically have this fundamental set of things you do but you're always adjusting. So now on my charts, I don't even people ask me all the time when they see my charts, why don't you have the 20 day moving average there? Because it doesn't work anymore. So I, I don't put it on. Maybe a year from now, I find that it does work and I'll put it back on. But now I have the nine EMA because that seems to be working now. In trend markets, it's the nine EMA, not the 20 that works. You know, maybe a year or two from now, the nine EMA doesn't work anymore. So I have this fundamental base of what I do, but then I adapt to what's going on in the market. So adaptability is very important and question everything you hear. Powerful, powerful. Paul, thanks so much for being on the podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you here. Oh, this has been great, great. And so that was it for my interview with Paul Singh. I really hope you guys liked it. I hope you get some value. And more than that, I hope you get kind of an action plan of what you need to work on now and what are your next step. That's, I think, the part of the podcast, figuring out from other traders what steps you need to take. If you want to connect with me after the show, check out the Facebook group over at thisartotrade.com forward slash group or just find me on YouTube and I'll see you here next week for the next episode of the This Art to Trade podcast. Ciao.